Good afternoon, everybody. This is John Barrows with Make It Happen Monday. Hopefully, y'all had a fantastic weekend. Uh, mine could have been a little bit better. My Patriots lost to the Jaguars, and the Jaguars actually had a great game, so congratulations for that. But regardless, I am here with um, somebody I'm excited because I was on his podcast and it, it was absolute fire. We had a fantastic conversation um, and now he's coming on my podcast and I really appreciate it. So Mark Raffin with Negotiations Ninja, say hi to everybody. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Cool, man. I appreciate you coming on here. And for those of you listening, uh, this uh, the reason I enjoyed my conversation with Mark so much um, is because he comes from the dark side. He comes from the other side. I'm sure he would say the same thing about me. Uh, Mark comes from the side of procurement. All right. And I, the, the bane of most sales professionals uh, existence is procurement, right? We go through the whole sales process, value, value, value. And then we end up getting the shit kicked out of us by somebody who knows negotiations better than we do. And we're almost at the end. So we'll do almost anything to get that deal. And, and you know, a lot of power is being held there. So Mark and I are going to have that conversation, one from the procurement side, one from the sales side. Hopefully we'll flush some things out here. But Mark, you want to give everybody some, a little bit of background about where, like really where you're coming from and why you're doing what you're doing now? Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me on, John. I really appreciate it. Um, so my background is actually mostly procurement, but I actually started out my career in sales. So right out of university, um, got a sales job in online ad sales, did that for a couple of years did very well, um, paid off all my student loans, and then realized that I wanted to have the hammer instead of be hammered. So I, uh, I moved across to procurement and grew my career in procurement, started off as a buyer, worked my way up through category management. And we'll get into the differences between different types of procurement people. And I'll tell you why that's important to know the difference. Um, led a few category teams, and then at a certain point decided I was getting bored. Um, got really, really, really bored and started up uh, a blog, which is the Negotiations Ninja blog, and then was having a few beers uh, with a few friends and complaining to them that there were no great procurement negotiation podcasts out there. And then as these things go, we're two or three beers in and they said, well, you should start one. And <laughs> I said, no, no, I can't do that. And then we had a few more beers and then I decided it was a great idea. <laughs> and <laughs> Did zero research whatsoever on it um, and jumped in headfirst into creating a podcast. And I think if I had done the research, I probably wouldn't have done it because of the amount of work that's involved and, oh, yeah. and um, scripts and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm really glad that I didn't do the research. <laughs> so now, yeah, now here I am. I, I run the Negotiations Ninja podcast and then uh, launched that into a training business and now I teach procurement and sales teams how to negotiate. I love it, man. And that, it's funny, you have a very similar story from a podcast standpoint. You know, I was doing these Facebook Live sessions to, to, to try to engage with my audience, like to show more value, whatever. And the idea was like, it was going to be an office hours, right? Where, hey, ask me anything, because I get requests all the time. And it's like, you know what, 1230 East Coast, just ask me anything, I'll answer whatever questions. And it started to do all right. But, but then I was like, oh, let me get some people on here to have, you know, do whatever. And then all of a sudden, Lucas, who helps run my podcast, he's like, hey, we need to do a, I'm sorry, he, yeah, he runs a lot of my social stuff. He comes to me and says, yeah, we got to do a podcast. I'm like, dude, I, like there's only so much time in the day that I have. I'm on Instagram stories. I'm on Snapchat. I'm writing blogs. I'm doing this. I'm like, freaking podcast, right? And so I was like, you know what? Let's just rip the audio from the Make It Happen Monday live broadcast and turn that into a podcast and see what happens. And we did that. 
and it exploded. Like we're yeah. over, I think, 200,000 downloads. We get like 50,000 a month right now. And it's like less than a year and a half into this. I had no idea, to your point, if I had really researched and thought about all of this stuff, I probably wouldn't have done it. But now I'm like, shit, I'm glad we did it. Um, <laughs> Anyways, let's let's get to the value here because I, I do want to start off like we had a I think we had a fantastic so I'm going to point everybody to your blog and your podcast. There's there's two uh, blogs that I tell everybody about these days that I learn from. Uh, one is uh, the Gong blog. That one is absolutely fantastic in my opinion because it's based on data. Uh, and the other one is yours because from a negotiation standpoint, you know, negotiation starts from the minute we engage. And if we don't realize that all the way through, we're going to get our assets handed to us at the end. So the, you guys are the two. Um, so let's start with this, though. Let's help under, help everybody understand. I don't want to start like 101 level here, but I think we need to because I think there's a misperception of what procurement is, who, what types of procurement are they, and then we'll get on how to deal with them. So could you help us understand like, what are the different, first of all, what is procurement in your definition? What are these people usually held really accountable for, not what they tell us they're being held accountable for? And then what are the different types of procurement? Let's start there, because I think that'll baseline the rest of this conversation. Okay, yeah, so it is, it is a common misperception about what it is we actually do. So pro procurement people can really be split into a few different areas. Let's just start with the overall basic definition. So procurement is responsible for buying, procuring the goods and services for the given company that they work for, right? So for example, if you were selling services or goods to that company, the person who represents the business who wants those goods and services is the procurement department. So in its most basic form, that's what we're responsible for. Um, but when you think about what it is you're buying, you're not just buying a good or a service. They're also responsible for getting, quote unquote, best value. So what does best value mean? It could mean a lower cost. It could mean lowering risk. It could making, be making sure that the goods arrive on time, so on-time delivery. Um, it could be lowering the terms and condition risk that is associated with the procuring of the goods and services. So there are a variety of different things that they're responsible for to make sure that the company gets what they need when they need it for the right price at the right risk level. Actually, we'll pause there for a second. So that means there's risk for them. Absolutely, yeah. In the so sense that if they make the wrong decision or if they don't check off some of those boxes, they're not the person that wanted it. The person who actually buys it, their ass is on the line if they make a mistake and get something that is, you know, say some VP of sales is like, I want training, I want training, blah, 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 and go go do it. And procurement's like, okay, and they miss the, you know, the long-term investment, the, the renew, you know, those type of things, and it, it actually fails. Does that come back to procurement as far as like, why didn't you catch this? Yes, well, yes. I mean, ultimately, every procurement person will tell you that procurement always gets hung out to dry if a decision doesn't get made properly. Ultimately, they're not the ones that are going to be signing off on the deal, right? So when you think about the power line and the decision level uh, in sales, they're not the ones who are going to be signing off on you know, whether or not the business gets it. Ultimately, there's going to be a business person behind it, unless, of course, they're the department that's buying it for themselves, for example, right? Yeah. So um, they're not the ones who are going to be signing off on it, but they have significant influence over the decision because it's their job to make sure that the business gets full purview of what's included in the deal. 
mm-hmm. um, in terms of scope and all that kind of stuff as well. So to a certain extent, um, yeah, if something happens or something goes wrong, procurement does end up with a lot of the blame. And I think this is, that's important to understand from a sales rep standpoint because, and I don't want to say leverage that, but look, we, there's a certain point where we can empathize and work together to make sure that both of us ultimately with negotiations are getting what we need. Because I think when we come down to the tactics part of this conversation, you know, if they're going to pull something out of, if they're going to reduce the price by X and I pull something away that's going to have an impact on the total value, yeah. then... They're the ones who are, you know, we can have that logical conversation that says, look, I'm happy to bring it down to that level. But if you take this out of it, then it's going to impact the results. And therefore, you're going to be the one who's going to get right. I mean, we could play around with that a little bit. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, when we get into the discussion of how do you negotiate price or should you negotiate price or should price be even part of the conversation and how do you attach it to scope there's there's a lot of things that i think your listeners could learn about in terms of linking and trading in terms of um, how to attach value to certain things to make sure that you're not giving up more than you should yeah i mean and that's our like we can get it like our whole negotiations about gets and gets all the way through yeah let's let's back up a little bit more and talk about the different types of procurement because i think your point is valid of anybody who's ultimately responsible for buying what you're selling so that could be a business owner of a two person you're a procurement right now you're a one person show you know if if i'm trying to sell to you you're i'm procurement you know that type of so what are the different types of procurement that sales reps need to be uh on the lookout for or should understand at least so it depends on the scale of the organization and the maturity level of the organization that you're selling into. So at bare minimum, you're probably going to be dealing, if you're doing any kind of B2B sales, you're going to be dealing with a buyer. So that could be actually their title. I am a buyer, for example. Buyer in industry, in procurement industry terms, is sort of like the, the fundamental frontline um, level of procurement where they're doing... You know, they're buying goods and services, three bids and a buy kind of deal. Um, They're cutting POs. They're looking at sometimes reporting and then reporting up into the organization. They're sort of frontline when you think about it. So um, what's an easy comparison to the sales world, like like an account exec maybe? That would probably be like an entry-level account exec that you would have to deal with. Um, and then move it up a level, you get into if the buyer is successful and they're doing a great job, sometimes you can move into different streams of procurement. So another stream you can look into is strategic sourcing, where they're actually strategically sourcing for the business on an ongoing basis. So they get a job of like, I want you to go and source these goods and services um, from anywhere in the world just to make sure that we get best value, for example. Then there's another stream or potentially on top of strategic sourcing, which is called category management, which everyone talks about right now. Um, Category management manages your purchases in streams of categories. So basically verticals. Think of it as verticals um, in the sales sense of things. So if, for example, I'm procuring things for an industrial company, my category could be MRO. Or if it's... um, a software company. What's MRO? Just to make sure that nobody's listening. Oh, um, so maintenance, repair, and operations. Okay. So MRO is MRO is like um, easiest way to think of MRO is like safety gloves, safety glasses, um, PPE, those kinds of things in any kind of industrial sense. 
um, some common term is soap, rope, and dope. Just really easy tactical purchases yeah. that get made over and over again. So that could be a category, for example, pipes, valves, and fittings, okay. or PVF could be a category. Software, enterprise software could be a category. Um, labor, trade labor could be a category. And so what Are usually ends up happening- or do they fall within those categories? Say that again? Are renewals a category or do they fall? So renewals will fall into like for software, for example, renewals will fall into the software category. And usually you'll get a renewal manager who reports into a software category manager. All right, cool. Um, and then they manage their ongoing renewals for that, that category. And then there's, so there's those categories and then there's the personalities within those categories. We were talking about this before we jumped on, you know, um, we were, I was having a really interesting conversation about sophisticated buyers versus unsophisticated buyers, right? Where, you know, you and I, if we know we want something as a business owner, we do our due diligence, we do our Google search, we watch a couple of videos. And by the time we get to the vendor, it's like, look, just show me this. And if you show me that, you know, I'll, I'll move forward. If you don't, if you try to drag me through your whole sales process, I'm going to get pissed off and probably bounce. Right. Right. So there's that type of person. Then there's the unsophisticated buyer, which is, yeah, I've really never made this type of decision before, blah, blah, blah. I'm just kind of looking around. And your approach to them obviously differs, right? So same thing with procurement. And I and I when I say sophisticated buyer, I mean like an actual like sales VP or something like that, not necessarily the buyer that you just outlined there. Right. But um, but there is the sophisticated actual buyer, procurement person, and the unsophisticated one who has a lot of experience, who's been in the industry for 20 years, knows every trick a sales rep could ever throw at them. And then there's the unsophisticated or frontline. Um, are those, are, is that basically fall into those two camps or are there other layers to that? that, that yeah, we- kind of. It's, it's, it's tough to draw a clean line between like, buyer in a category because you may get a super experienced buyer that just hasn't moved from that position and they may be really really good at what they do may have as much skill as for example a category manager but the whole idea behind category management is to develop subject matter experts within each category so that they become that quote-unquote sophisticated buyer right so um yeah so the Short answer is you're going to have people who, who have no idea what they're buying, no idea. And they're really looking at the salesperson to guide them through that process. And quite often the business that they're representing also has no idea what they're looking for. They know how they have a problem mm-hmm. and they know they need to fix that problem, but they don't know how to fix that problem. So for example, when they go out to like RFP for something like that, and it's a really broad scope and you're like, man, what is this person actually looking for? Chances are they, they don't know. And then you get a really sophisticated buyer that understands the problem, understands how to fix the problem and knows three, four companies that can fix that problem for them and knows how to develop the scope with the business to do that. Um, so yeah, there's a massive difference between the two. So the unsophisticated sales rep, maybe the, you know, the kind of younger sales rep that hasn't had 20 years of getting his ass kicked by procurement to learn. Um, are, what are some indicators or what are some things that you can, you, you know, what, what view would you put on to identify, ooh, this person, holy shit, knows her, versus the bravado person that's just like, give me the price, you know what I mean? Because a lot of times somebody will come in and pretend like they're sophisticated and say, look, just tell me how much this thing costs. If, you know, if it's in the range, then we can go. And really all they're looking to do is get a price so they can throw it on a spreadsheet and tell their boss they evaluated three vendors. 
yeah. versus the person that has actually been sophisticated. So how, is there any indicators that you or uh, suggestions or techniques that you could suggest to a, a rep to uncover that? And then we can figure out how to adjust both of them. Yeah, I think it, I think it comes down to the quality of questions that a rep asks, right? So, I mean, if we, if we think of the question funnel and how you ask questions through the funnel, you start with your open-ended questions, right? So when you're starting with your open-ended questions and you're asking a super open-ended question, like tell me about the challenges that you guys are facing with regards to X problem that mm -hmm. you're having and you know, how do you see our solution fitting into that problem? The, the quality of answer that you get out of that will very quickly tell you whether or not the person that you're dealing with actually knows what they're talking about or whether or not they need to bring in the business to describe what the problem is. So you just hit on something because I, I talk about one of the hardest things to do in sales is to go over somebody's head without pissing them off. Okay. Like you're here below the power line. How do you, you know this person isn't going to be the one that makes the decision, but you have to get up here. How do you do that gracefully? One of the ways that I always suggest is literally ask them questions that they don't know the answers to. And I say that not to be offensive, but to genuinely understand, because I always say, look, when you're CEO, well, you're the CEO, but in a company, if you're a CEO, when they stood up in the beginning of the year and said, these are the three things that we have to do this year to be successful. If I cannot tie my solution to one or two of those, good luck trying to sell anything of significance, right? So when I'm way down below the power line, I'll usually ask, so, Hey, just out of curiosity, when your CEO stood up in the beginning of the year, what did they say those, and what are the, what are the metrics that you're going to use to evaluate whether this solution aligns with those and justify that? Yeah. A lot of times these people down here have, literally have no idea about the KPI conversation, about the true impact and those type of things. And it tends to open up a conversation to go up there. Is that a, is that a pretty decent negotiation technique from your perspective? Yeah. I mean, I would, and I would approach it from, from really an old, from an altruistic standpoint yeah. of like you're the sales rep's job is to deliver value, right? To deliver a solution. Mm -hmm. So the only way to know if you're going to be able to deliver a solution is to know very clearly what the problem is. And if someone can't communicate that to you, then it's your job to find that information. Um, and it's your job to ask the the procurement person to say, look, I want to make sure that we deliver best value for you. I want to make sure we deliver the best solution for you. I need someone in here who can walk me through the technical aspects of what it is you're trying to achieve so that I can put something together that makes sense for your organization. Otherwise, we're just throwing darts in the dark, right? And it's not going to work. And you're not going to get what you want. And I'm not going to get what I want. And we're both going to be upset. So let's make sure that we get someone in here and collectively come to a solution and be very clear that you're not trying to cut them out through the process, but that you're trying to make it a collaborative, holistic process. Because I, I think that KPI discussion, what I'm learning more and more is that the, the, the actual KPI discussion about what impact, what KPIs are you looking for this solution to impact is, is to me what helps me understand the sophisticated versus the unsophisticated. Because the sophisticated buyer is going to tell you, we need to increase our conversion ratios. We need to, you know, we're, we're targeting these markets and we have to reduce our sales cycle by 20% to be able to get to this point and raise our cost of this, da, 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 da. Whereas the unsophisticated buyer is going to be like, well, you know, we're really just trying to look for a better solution. And, and I think obviously I, I, I give the information over here and I, I kind of lead the conversation over here. And that's where I think, tell me if I'm wrong from your perspective, this puts you in the driver's seat a little bit. If you do it tactfully, to help them make this decision and the challenger sale approach, right? Like, hey, you know, let me walk you through this because you haven't done this before. I do this every day. 
Totally. Lead with insights, right? I mean, essentially, that's, that's what they want you to do, especially for someone who doesn't necessarily know what it is they're buying. The thing about procurement people that I think a lot of salespeople have to realize is they're, they're not just dealing with one or two contracts a year. Some of them could be dealing with up to 35 to 50 contracts a year, right? So it, the, the likelihood that they're going to know exactly what it is they're buying every single time is very, very low, which is why it's so important to lead with those insights and to drive that value collaboration conversation. Here's, I know, so I understood so many questions. Um, so one thing that uh, a rep did that I thought was really interesting, and it was when I was training, P, I think it was PTC, he documented the whole conversation from like, from the minute they engaged and qualified to the next meeting, to the next meeting, and also documented the price um, concessions that he made. So for instance, at first it's our rate card and this many licenses for this cost. Then we decided that you wanted this many more licenses, so we reduced it to this much. And then, and now finally, this is where we are. So he literally had like a three page documents that added up all the conversations along the way. So that when it came time to talk to procurement, he would actually just give it to procurement and see and say, hey, look, see what we've done. And almost like procurement would be able to just take that and just take credit for it all, for instance, move that upstream to their boss and be like, look at all the stuff we've already done. Like that's how, you know what I mean? We started here and we got here, even though they had nothing to do with it. Does documenting the pro how much do you recommend documenting the process throughout throughout the whole step? And then how do you present that to procurement so they understand what's gotten them them to that point? Yeah, I mean it's it's hugely valuable, right? So if you if you think about what a procurement do person does on the back end, they may not necessarily be signing off on the contract, but they have significant influence over the direction um, of the signing of the contract, right? So so many people talk about then this drives me nuts about sales and we can probably get into like a huge conversation about this. So many people talk about closing as if there's only one close okay. and it drives me up the wall because throughout that process, you're going to, throughout the negotiation process, you're closing from stage to stage to stage and step to step. Um, and part of that process is for the procurement person to put together a very robust business case, especially if it's a large purchase, a very robust business case with all the terms and conditions that have been negotiated, all of the price concessions, all of the risk reduction, identifying where everything is for the organization, and then presenting that to leadership to ensure that they purchase it. And then helping them to make that decision by saying, look, here's what we want to buy. Here's the risk associated. This is how much it's going to cost. This was the discussion that we had. This is where we were. This is where we got to. So if you're able to influence that as a sales rep and help the procurement person build that story, you become their trusted advisor. So like we have this trusted advisor conversation all the time where sales is becoming the trusted advisor of the business. Don't forget that there are other stakeholders involved, right? So you're not just dealing with the business. You could be dealing with operations. You could be dealing with an administrative assistant. You yeah. could be dealing with leadership. You could be dealing with procurement. All of those people, all of those parties are stakeholders. And you're doing multiple stakeholder negotiations and sales at all times. So if you can become that procurement person's trusted advisor and show them how you help them to deliver value, it becomes incredibly, incredibly valuable. What part of the, what part of uh, this, that whole business use case is the ROI calculator? And, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, 
present my disdain for the ROI calculator and hope that you, you can bring my faith back into it. Like sure. every time I've used an actual ROI calculator was like how much time, even if I've made it so transparently objective that I, you know, that I gave it to that person. It, it, to me, it's always like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it seems to be a piece of the, it's obviously a piece of the puzzle. I think it's not the puzzle. Too many sales reps think it's the puzzle. But I just call bullshit. I mean, once a client asked me recently to put together an ROI calculator for my, I was like, really? You really want me to do this? Fine. And I literally put it out there. And the number was so absurd. At the bottom, I put 85% bullshit factor. Literally, in huge words, I put 85% bullshit factor. and cut 85% of it off. And I said, even with an 85% bullshit factor, you're still getting value out of my solution. So how much weight does procurement put on ROI calculators by sales reps? That's a, tough, that, that's a that's a tough question to answer. So let me, I'll break it down. So a procurement person, a, a sophisticated procurement person, doesn't just care about cost. They care about what they call total cost of ownership or return on investment. Right. So if you're thinking of total and total cost of ownership is such a misused, misunderstood term, but if you think about the total cost of actually procuring something, it includes the risk and the cost of actually the price. It includes the delivery. It includes, you know, everything that's associated with procuring that it could include, like if you're displacing an existing vendor, it, it could include the switching costs that are involved with getting rid of that vendor and how much the organization has to absorb. So there's a number of different factors that could be included in total cost of ownership. So when you're presenting an, a return on investment, you, you have to consider, and this is very difficult because sales reps would rarely get access to this information. You have to consider the total cost of what's being involved in that entire process, right? So it's, Having an ROI sent to a procurement person helps the procurement person as part of their overall discussion with leadership because then they can take that and go, okay, well, what, what in here actually makes sense to us? What can I cut out as BS? And like, there's no way we can place a value on this. And then how do I tie that into my total cost discussion? So for example, um, like if you were going to say you were selling software, and your software was so efficient that it was going to reduce the FTE count from, you know, 10 people to five people over the course of a year. That is savings that could potentially be real, but it won't be realized until those FTEs are then moved on to different positions or whatever, right? So they'll take that information with a grain of salt and say, okay, let's just say there's a 30% BS factor in this and present it to leadership. And then the leadership or the business unit should be able to look at that and go, okay, does this actually make sense based on the information that we've seen? Is this actually possible? So a, a sophisticated procurement person should be having those conversations with their business to say, you know, here's the ROI that's been presented. Does it make sense it, or is it nonsense? And then if it's not nonsense, then yeah, let's take out the stuff we want and include the stuff that we don't want, but they should also be including sales in that conversation to say, here's what we realistically think we can achieve. Yeah, we appreciate that you're in sales and we appreciate you're excited about selling this, yeah. but this is what's actually gonna happen. Yeah, because so, I think the 
you know, I think a lot of sales reps get a little bit too focused on the ROI discussion and not the value conversation. Yeah. So they'll be like, oh, but you, you know, you said that this would save you two hours a day um, of your time. So two hours times five days a week, that's 10 hours times 50 weeks, that's 500 hours. Well, what would you do with that 500 hours? You know what I mean? And, and you, you make $100,000 a year. So that's really worth, you know, 10, whatever that number is. And it's like, yeah, okay, kid, you know, thanks. But inevitably, you give me two hours back, and I'm immediately going to fill it with some other shit that's probably not going to, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not that minute detail. I mean, yes, it gives me a little data point to say, okay, that makes sense. But I think so many reps I find get so caught up in that. But, 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 you know what I mean? Versus yeah. you got that, that real TCO conversation and understanding cost of switching, understanding the risk associated with it to their business. Like I used to sell outsourced IT services and when we would make a change, I mean, look, sales training, you screw up on sales training, you screw up on sales training. People don't like it, you don't hire me back, right? right. But when we were managing networks and infrastructure, if we screwed up on a backup, I mean, we could literally shut your business down if we screwed up. So that risk factor, even if we were cheaper, quote unquote, to, to their compared, you know, to their current situation, they would look at it and be like, yeah, dude, but cost of that risk, not even like not even worth it. Yeah. Exactly. I know we want to close on time here. Do you have a few extra minutes? Oh, I yeah. Oh, I'm good. All right, perfect. Um, the one I wanted to really address is when to engage with procurement. Mm. Because too many sales reps go through the whole sales process, and they're like, oh, great. And they get the decision criteria the you know, with the, with the decision maker, quote, unquote. And then the decision maker will say, all right, cool. And then they get flipped over to procurement. And now it's like they're starting from scratch. And they miss their forecast because they forecasted for the month that the buyers, that the decision maker said that they were going to say yes. But now we're stuck in legal hell. We're stuck in procurement hell. And now we're so close to the end that we're, we're almost willing to do almost anything, which is how procurement takes advantage of us, is we're, we're willing to do anything to get the deal done because we've already, we're 90, we're at the finish line. So this is where we give up the most concessions. This is where we give up the most whatever it is. So... What is the best way and when should, well, let's start with when should a sales rep get procurement involved and what are some of the things that they can do tact tactfully uh, and tactically to, to do that without being like, hey, I know procurement's going to be a pain in the ass when we, if we decide to do this. Uh, can I talk to them now so it's less of a pain in the ass? I mean, that's the, the, the conversation I actually want to have, but how do you do that tactfully? I think you kind of hit it bag on, right? Like you can deal with them later and deal with their wrath later, or you can deal with it early and make them involved in the process and have them feel like they're a trusted part of the entire process. Um, procurement's not there to fuck anyone. There's, right. there's, there's this like weird, weird misconception about procurement being, you know, just there to hurt people. And I mean, I'm not going to say that that's entirely wrong. <laughs> there are definitely those personalities out there, mm -hmm. but procurement's job is to manage the risk and value for the organization, right? So if they haven't been, in, think of it from their perspective, if they haven't been involved in the process from the beginning and you involve them at the end and they have no idea what's going on, they're going to be like, well, in order for me to fully understand what's going on and to make sure that I'm helping the business make the right decisions, we're starting from square one. So you, you can have that conversation at the end, or you can have that conversation in the beginning and 
get them to help you go through that process because having them on your side and becoming their trusted advisor through that process is only going to help you even worst case scenario. So everyone thinks this is a worst case scenario, which always strikes me as odd, but even worst case scenario for a salesperson, they move all the way through the process. And then even if the procurement person is dealt with from the beginning, then they get to an RFP situation. The procurement person says, we're going to RFP. We've really realized that we need to go to market for this solution, whatever it is. That is like, in my mind, as a procurement person for the salesperson, that's like best case scenario because you've essentially had this entire process to write the RFP. And so when they release the RFP, then you're going to be like, well, this is what we talked about. And you can send in a proposal that matches exactly what they need. So in my mind, I think it's critically important to involve procurement from the very beginning because then you can come to a solution collaboratively that makes sense for both the seller and the buyer and, and everyone wins. When you involve them too late, it, it almost becomes a situation that you're, you're putting yourself into a harmful situation. Um, and, and, and really at the end of the day, you've only got yourself to blame. And, and this is a, this is an issue that procurement people face a lot where their own business partners will cut them out of conversations until the very end. And now we've had to like start back from square one, which further reinforces the, you know, stigma that procurement are jerks and all they want to do is take value out of the deal. Meanwhile, if we had had this conversation at the beginning, we wouldn't be you know, necessarily in this point. So, so what, what should I look for though? Cause I mean, say, say I'm selling you right now and we're on the, we're on the discovery call and it looks like you're interested in my stuff. Like, you know, and, and say it's a, say it's usually two or three stakeholders in a decision, average deal size, a hundred thousand dollars, give or take um, initial qual call, then kind of the presentation of the solution. Where does it make sense to say, Hey, Mark, um, you know, I understand, you know, these other people need to be in steps here. Like, where does it make sense to insert that? Hey, can I talk to procurement or can I engage with procurement? So, I mean, if we're thinking from the software perspective, which I, I know that a lot of your listeners are SaaS salespeople and software salespeople. So let's use that as an example. So if we're thinking from the software perspective, I would say from point of demo oh. is where you're going to include the procurement person. If you're thinking of other categories, I think it changes slightly. Um, it could be from point of presentation where someone comes into a presentation and presents a solution, but it's not going to be at the point of cold call, obviously. It's not going to be at the point of um, exploratory discussions, but it probably would be from the point of demo. Okay. Um, so, so say I, so I've, I've qualified, I've cold called, I've qualified. Yeah, you're qualified to the extent where now it's not just going to be a press the play demo, but it's going to be a demo. Like it's right. like I'm showing, I am showing you a tailored demo to your solution. Right. You're the VP of sales or whatever, who's kind of the decision maker. What or I'm say say you're trying to sell to me. We're at that stage. I'm ready for your demo. Literally, what are the words that you would say to me to make to get me to say, yeah, it's worth bringing procurement in right now. That isn't just, hey, can we get procurement involved? Is there, is there a special way you would phrase it to show the benefit to everybody involved of getting somebody on the procurement side of the house into this demo? If I was a sales rep? Yeah, if you were selling to me right now and we, we went through the qual call and I was like, yeah, you know what? I definitely want to see a demo and uh, I'm probably going to have my, uh, my director of IT in here with me so that they can see it too. Um, so when do you want to schedule that? Some month later. What would you say to me to get procurement in that wouldn't be like, dude, like that? We're up, that's way down the cycle here. We're not at that point yet. 
Yeah. So I think it's critically important that sales always remembers the multiple stakeholder groups they're selling into, right? So I wouldn't just ask for procurement. I would also ask for any kind of PMs that may be involved in this kind of a project, regardless of what it is. So my wording to you would be, John, fantastic. I'm so looking forward to doing this demo with you. And because we like to be a collaborative organization, we want to work with all the stakeholder groups within the organization that we're selling into. We want to make sure that everyone is present at the meeting that has influence over the decision ultimately, or has some sort of play in the discussion. So usually that's someone from finance, usually that's someone from procurement, usually that's someone from project management or PMO. Can we include those people in the discussion during our demo, please? Nice. That's it. Last one, um, I'll ask champions. How much do champions impact procurement? In the sense that, uh, again, you're the VP of sales for me, I sell sales training to VPs of sales. My Perception is procurement left unchecked will do what they are told to do, just like lawyers are. Lawyers are taught to cross every T, dot every I, and protect the company at all costs, unless somebody from a business unit, usually a, you know, a senior level executive comes in and says, look, just make sure that we're covered on the basics, I need this done. Procurement, without going unchecked, they are KPI based on certain amount of things, risk, you know, all that stuff, so they will check every box, unless somebody comes in. How much of how much of a, a of an influence does a champion, a real champion, have on procurement to get deals done? Massive. Okay. Huge, enormous influence, and I mean it. It's kind of a misleading answer to give you that that way. So I'll, I'll break it down into two areas. So it really depends on the influence that the procurement has in that organization, um, and the strength that procurement has in making deals happen. So depending on the leverage that procurement has in that organization, it like I've been in organizations where a champion has come through and said, listen, let's make sure that we get this deal through. I just want to make, make it move. And procurement basically says, well, that's very nice. I'm glad that you've identified someone that you want to work with. Awesome. What problem are you trying to solve? And so they'll go back to the beginning of like, okay, are we actually making the right decision? Which is exactly the conversation that should be happening. Um, so it, depending on the leverage, right? So, but then in other organizations, maybe procurement has less leverage and less influence in the discussion and a champion will come up and say, uh, we need to get a contract done with these guys. And then you say, all right, let's cut a PO. So it, it, it depends. It depends on the influence that procurement has. And I think that, I mean, I slammed into that. So I was selling HP and this was back when Mark Hurd was the CEO of HP and he literally turned HP into a procurement shop, period. If procurement didn't want it, it didn't matter how much the business justification was for it. No, no business leader could get something stuck through procurement at all. And so, you know, which isn't a good thing. It, you know, it's not a good thing for either one to have too much power. Mm. Because what it ended up happening was the, the, the business owner or the business, you know, the line of business guy, he ended up subverting them all together and just put the whole thing on his credit card. Yeah. It just dealt with his expense. You know what I mean? It's like, because they know that's such a headache that, you know what, fuck it. I'm not even going to deal with procurement, John. Throw this on my credit card. I'll expense this somehow else. And then we'll, I'll get in that argument later, but we need this now, right? So, yeah, I mean, that's a stigma that we continue to live with, right? I mean, being the, you know, the, the arbiters of spend, so mm -hmm. to speak, it, it sometimes make us, makes us a bottleneck, especially if 
there's too much coming through the organization at one time, which is why you'll see a lot of procurement organizations set thresholds. So for example, I've worked with organizations where if it's less than 500K, we don't touch it, whatever, who cares? Make a decision, cut a PO, do your own little simple contract, not a, not a big deal. But then there are other organizations where procurement people touch everything. Um, so it's, it's incumbent upon procurement to make sure that they're not becoming the bottleneck for the business to do business because that's, that's not our job. Our job is to facilitate business transactions and to make sure that everyone's making the right decision. And if we become something that slows down that process, especially when you're thinking of like fast moving SaaS based businesses, um, then that's, that's bad. Uh, so we need to find ways to become more efficient and more effective. And definitely technology is helping us get there. We're not there yet in a lot of circumstances, but we're, we're getting there. I love it. Cause I, I always say to people, you know, go back to challenger sale. You can't be a challenger if you're closing on your timeline and your priorities. Like if you got to close the end of the month, cause you gotta, you gotta hit your quarter target. Then you're just an asshole. But if, but if I find out genuinely what your priorities are and what your timeline is, yeah. now I can be challenger all day long because you're the one who told me that we need to do this by this date. And, and that kind of leads to, I promise my last question here, um, is, uh, you know, I think obviously there's a benefit to procurement when it's, when it's an evident, no real compelling events that we don't need it by this date, but the sales rep you know needs to close it by the end of the half of the quarter or whatever. And we know all those dates. What's that? And we know all those dates. Oh, I know you do, right? And, and so there's nothing but a benefit to have that procurement be silent, 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 silent until yeah. the last day of the month or the last day for renewals, those type of things. Because now I have all the leverage, okay? Yeah. What I always try to say, like, if you're going to give a discount, for instance, don't just give a discount to say, oh, and agree that they'll sign the contract. Like, make sure there's a give and get there. I try to say, look, Happy to share with you, you know, let me go see if I can fight for you on that discount. Would you be able to close the week before the end of the quarter or something like that? So it's not just a get for the contract because everybody knows the end of the month comes. You have your stuff that you're dealing with just like we have ours. So shit happens and you're not the priority. So then, but then on Monday, oh, sorry, I missed the call. Sorry on Margaret. You know, yeah, now we're ready to go. Uh, can I get that discount again? And everybody knows that the discount doesn't go away over the weekend. You That's know what I mean? It's like, what did your profitability change over the weekend? Shut up. Fine. I'll just wait until the end of next month. So is there a benefit to, to procurement when there's no real compelling events? Is there something I could say to you that says, hey, Mark, you look, you know, I know you said you want to make this decision by the end of the month here and you want to have a go live date by this. You know, there's nothing really pressing for that. You just kind of have a nice clean one there. Can we make sure that this happens before the end of the month so we're not panicking there last minute? And, and obviously, you know what my goals are here and I know what your goals are there. Is there anything that's like legitimate that I could say to a procurement officer that gets them to sign before the last day of the month where they have every leverage they could possibly imagine on me? Yes. So... Short answer is yes. So a, a couple things. Um, from a procurement perspective, you're putting yourself as a salesperson, you're putting yourself into, you're painting yourself into a corner if you're waiting till end of month to negotiate a deal. Uh, like the, one of the things that I love that you say is um, the, the, bet, the most leverage you can have in a negotiation is a full pipeline. Um, and 
that's essentially the position that you need to be in. If, if I know that you need this deal, I will wait you out all day long and I will take every penny you have to make sure that I can close that deal. Because why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? If, if you've already exposed yourself to me, you can't blame me for taking advantage of that situation. So you've no. got to make sure that you've got more in the pipe coming so that it's not a rush and it's not a stress and that you are closing on my timelines. For example, if there's an implementation timeline that we have to... There's, so there's, there's two questions that I think so many people get wrong is number one, when does a decision need to be made? Okay. Number two, um, when does the implementation need to take place? Those are two different questions, but so many people get them confused. A decision may need to be made now, but an implementation may need to be made in six months from now. So, or the opposite. I'm going to throw one more on there, which is, and what happens if it doesn't? Exactly, exactly. So there's a risk to not making a decision. So if you can understand those three questions and the answers to those three questions, it gives you as the salesperson more leverage in the discussion so that you can actually work through that negotiation. Don't tie, this is more difficult, it's easier to say than to do, but don't tie your concessions to your end of quarter, end of month, end of fiscal conversations, because you're just in for a world of hurt. Rather link concessions to something of value. So for example, if, if a procurement person wants, you know, a discount on, you know, X licenses or whatever it is that you're buying, then tie that to like, if you're bundled a full thing that there's, there's a bunch included in that bundle, strip out something from the bundle so that you can reduce that price. Don't, don't tie it to an execution date because if you're tying it to an execution date, then I'll just wait for that execution date and get more. So it's, 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 it's tough because so many software organizations are so pressured by end of quarter, end of month, end of fiscal conversations. And we've recorded all of those fiscal dates down so that when um, you know, a, a Salesforce or an Oracle or whoever comes to the conversation and says, hey, we need this, then we'll just say, oh, okay, perfect. And we check our fiscal dates and go, uh, all right, cool. And then we'll just slow it way down yeah. and On then purpose. we'll have the conversation at the end. And to your point, why wouldn't you? You know why what I mean? I mean, we all like to think, and this goes to a blog post I recommend people reading, which is the style versus substance one that you have. You know, we all go in hoping that, you know, we're reasonable people and I'm going to sell you something at a reasonable price and you're going to buy at a reasonable price for the features. And that's just not the way it works. People, some people, first of all, want to negotiate. They, they need to feel like they got something, not just free cards. So they're going to ask just because if they didn't, they'd feel like they got ripped off. Um, and, and so there is a little bit of a game to be played here. Um, now, I try to be as, as, as transparent with that game as I possibly can. But, you know, there's still a game to be played. Yeah, 100%. And, and, And don't, like, there's a certain personality that's attracted to procurement. Um, and that does well in procurement. And when you're dealing with that kind of a personality, they don't care. They don't care about your sales targets. They don't care about your fiscal year end. They care about getting best value for the organization. Um, and if you're, if you bend to that and you break and you don't have your pipeline full, oh, well, 
I'll tell you right now, the the I, and I I've almost I think almost I my guess is seventy five to eighty percent of sales reps at some like senior sales reps at some point in their career has let it slip to the buyer because they got comfortable with them and they thought they were boys or whatever. They let it slip that said, I really need this deal by the end of the month. Yeah, I, almost I, every salesperson says that. I am, I'm going to beg everybody listening to this podcast as a final thought here. Never, ever, ever, no matter how comfortable you are with a prospect, never tell them that you absolutely need this deal or you need it to come in by the end of the week for your reasons. Because not only do I know I now have all the leverage, but Mark, saying you and I were negotiating, tell me if I'm wrong with this. Say we had great rapport throughout the entire negotiations, right? And, and this is something you were going to do, right? And, but say you were going to do it now in October because you just, you just you have too much shit going on right now. In October, you're going to do it. And you're going to pay close to rate card for it. And I come to you at the end of the third quarter right now and I'm like, hey, Mark, I know, I know you said you were going to close this in October, but you know, any chance you could bump this into September here because I can really use this deal to help close my quarter out strong. What does your perception of me go to? Well, like I, I automatically know that I've got you in that situation. But even that, my, my thing is like, say we were cool, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, aren't you a little disappointed in me? Yeah, I'm disappointed in you as a salesperson because you haven't, like you've, you've basically shown me. And so this is the biggest thing that procurement people like love and hate about salespeople is because salespeople are usually talkers, right? And procurement people aren't. So all a procurement person has to do is generate conversation and ask you open-ended questions and probe for you to spill the beans on an ongoing basis. And if you spill the beans, then yeah, then ultimately as a procurement person, I'm going to be like, ah, what an idiot, you know, like what an idiot. Like now I'm, now I have to take advantage of you. Now I have to take your money. That's where like my five, so so what kicked off my my podcast and stuff like that. There was I'm not going to name any names, but I used to be doing Facebook Live, so my Facebook Live sessions on my phone, and this was before there was any tools where we could share on Facebook Live. So I I kind of set up and I do my little tripod thing. All of a sudden, some kid pinged me and he was like, "Hey John, have you ever wanted to bring guests on your podcast?" Right. I was like, yeah, I'd love to, but I don't know how to stream it to Facebook. So there's two people, right? He's like, oh, we're our, our solution does that. I was like, no shit, right? Let's show it to me. So I literally got on the phone with him immediately. I was like, show me how it does it. And he did it. And I was like, cool, send me an order, right? Send me, send me the contract. I'll send, can you light this up tomorrow? And he's like, yeah, no problem. I was like, fantastic. Sign it over, right? It was like 1500 bucks for one license. That was only one license, but whatever. I mean, the kid hit the holy fucking grail. He social sold me. He understood what my needs were. He crushed on ones. You know, he, he actually said, I've been watching your podcast or listening to your thing for a while. Had this Yes, call done, not even sophisticated buyer. And then he fucked it all up because he goes like this. He goes, oh, John, because we're such biggest, big fans of you over here. You know, I wanted to give you a 10% discount just for oh. And I literally, that's exactly what I said. I go, no, Ab, no. I'm like, oh. why? Why did you do that? I literally just Screwed said, send me over rate card. And you oh. crushed it, kid. Like, I was going to be a testimonial for you about how awesome of a sales process you were. And now you fucked it all up. And, my, and, and I was so disappointed. I was, that's why I want sales reps to understand that discounting isn't the be-all, end-all. You ruin your reputation, if not just my, your perception of you, by freely offering, uh, offering discounts. Because it tells me if you freely offer a discount, that tells me you're not priced at the right level. Yeah. 
right? And now I question everything about the value of your solution. Well, and like how procurement people generate discounts is like, okay, so I know we don't have a lot of time. Can I leave you with one yeah, more yeah, thing? Please do. Yeah. Okay, so there's, in negotiation, you, you're not only using the words that come out of your mouth, but you're also using your tonal inflection and your body language, right? So for example, if you were gonna go into a store and you found a coat that you really love and you thought, man, if this is under $300, I'm gonna buy this beautiful coat. It looks gorgeous, I'm gonna pick it up. And then you see the price tag and you're like, $700, good God. Like, why would I pay that much money? That initial emotional feeling that you had, that's the type of feeling that procurement people want to show you. They may not even feel it, but they want to show that to you to generate that immediate first concession. So when someone comes with something and says, um, and so this is a free tip for your sales teams. When someone comes and says, hey, here's the price or whatever, and you hear a procurement person go, and then there's silence on the other end of the conversation, the other end of the line. A procurement person knows nine times out of 10, the first words that are going to come out of your mouth is, but of course that's negotiable. Done. We've got you at that point. That's, that's, that's the declining conversation starts from that first point. So just as a salesperson, be very careful about um, the, not only the words that are being said, but the words that aren't being said and, and how you're emotionally attached to the response of the procurement person, which is why it's so important to have a full pipeline, right? So that you don't get swayed by that emotional response. What do you, so here's just a little tip on top of that, since silence is golden, but um, I've started to play around with when I delivered price to then ask a question afterwards. So not to blast through it, but to be like, when you say, John, so how much does this cost? And I say, well, Mark, it's gonna be about $30,000. Is that in line with what your expectations are for a solution like this? Or Richard Harris, what he says is, how does that make you feel? What are your thoughts on like stating that, because there's one thing that the negotiation tactic is name price and then shut the hell up and whoever speaks first loses, blah, 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 right? But I think there's, you know, that's a technique that a lot of people understand. And so then it becomes a stare down contest and then it's awkward, really. So what I've had a little bit of luck with is to try to get your immediate response from something is to say, you know what, Mark, it's going to be probably give or take around $30,000 for something that we're talking about here. Is that in line with what your expectations would be for something that, you you know, in, in this range or something like that? Or again, Richard says, how does that make you feel? To try to get you to so, tell me. So I would, if you're going to ask the question afterwards, I would ask an open-ended question instead of a closing question, right? So if you're going to say something like, does, does that line up with your expectations? You're giving them the opportunity to say no. And so I, I would almost follow it up with um, other organizations have found that the investment required for the kind of value that we deliver is uh, well worth it. And how have you felt the challenges, you know, in terms of this price with other products? Like try and leave it open-ended because I feel like if you're going to ask them their opinion, especially a procurement person whose default response is no, um, you're giving them the opportunity to say, yeah, no, it's too expensive. Um, Even if they haven't done the research. So I I would almost prefer it that people just, just stay silent. Okay. And I know it, I know it gets awkward and I know it sounds weird. And like, there's this stare down, 
And like a little personal story, I, I once had a conversation with an amazing salesperson, probably one of the best salespeople I've ever met in my entire life. And they told me the price for something. And then I, I was like, you know, I did the whole, you know, thing and I stayed silent and then he stayed silent. And then I stayed silent and then we were like staring at each other across the table, staying silent, not saying anything. I swear to God, it must've been two minutes that passed, yeah. not saying a word. I was like, fuck this guy. He's not going to beat me at my own game. I'm going to stay silent as long as it takes. Yeah. So then he writes down a joke on a piece of paper. I didn't know what he was writing, but he writes down a joke and he holds up the joke to me. And I read the joke and I was like, fuck, that's hilarious. And I started <laughs> laughing. And then I was like, man, that's the, that's the most hilarious joke. I can't believe we stayed so silent talking about nothing. And then you lifted up this joke and he said, you know what else is hilarious? How much value you're going to get out of this product. And it was just like a total, total segue to value away from price. And he totally got me off the conversation. And I was like, fuck, this guy's amazing. You anyway, awesome. he, ended up, he ended up spanking me in that negotiation. <laughs> basically took all of our money. But it, it was a it was a great tactic. So like even if it gets to the point where it's just super awkward yeah. and and nothing is happening, just just try and hold out. I would rather have you do that than ask the question. Okay. All right. Cause I because I've been playing around with it, right? Because I because there's the uncomfortable silence and I know that, you know, the, the problem is, is for me, I always negotiate with like VPs of sales, right? Who yeah, are yeah. taught to, to, to know exactly what that is. Yeah. So I usually end up fucking around with them. I'll be like, look, you know, I'll tell them the price and then wait and be like, look, we can both sit here for the next 10 minutes knowing like doing the stare down contest, but you know, how's that feel? You know, that type of thing. Yeah. So if you're going to break the tension, then break it with humor, right? Like break it and just say, look, we're not going to sit here and do the whole silence tactic. We both know where that's going to end up. Why don't you just tell me what makes sense for you? Yeah. Does this make sense for you? That Then yeah, if you're going to go down that conversation, but then know where it is you're going to walk away. So many salespeople get into the same conversation and then they, you know, they get eaten down throughout the negotiation, ground, ground, ground down. And then they don't know where to walk away. And then eventually they get to a deal where they, they're stoked that they got a deal and they present that deal to their leadership and they're like, hey, we got a deal. And then the leadership is like, congratulations, dumbass. You, yeah. like, you tied us into a deal that makes us no money. Right. And I'm not going to be able to give you commissions or they're going to be a headache of a client. So that, exactly. I think that's, let's finish on that one. Know your walkaway line. Yeah. And, and actually I, I recommend writing it down because too many people think they have one and then it gets too emotional once it goes past. Cause it's always that feeling where it's not fair anymore. And now I start doing self defeating things. Cause I react poorly at that point. I literally write it down. And once it goes past that, it's like, Hey, thanks so much. But to your point, man, you gotta have a big fat pipeline to have that confidence. So with that, Mark, I think we could have a whole day's conversation on this one. Um, I, you know, I think um, the idea of, of working with procurement, and I would just beg the procurement people out there, work with sales reps. Just like you said, you're not all assholes who are just trying to screw sales reps. The same thing on our side. We're not all jackass sales reps that are just trying to get a com commission out of this. Like we really do want to make sure that, that our solution does what it says it's going to do. And we do bad things because we have bad things done to us in a lot of ways. So let's try to let's try to work together a little bit more here. Uh, Mark, uh, negotiations. It's negotiations.ninja. Uh, that's your blog. But just if you just Google negotiations ninja, you'll come up. Yeah. Anywhere else people can engage with you, or anything else you want to share with the audience before we get off here? 
Yeah, I'm super active on social, so you can find me. I'm very active on LinkedIn, just under Mark Raffin. Um, And you can also find the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you download podcasts. Love it. Well, everybody, like I said, you know, there's two blogs that I always recommend to every class that I go do training for. It's the Gong blog and Negotiations Ninja. So check out Mark. He's got some incredible stuff. I engage with him on social. He's got great answers to everything. And uh, thanks again, Mark, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, John. It was a real pleasure, man. All right, everybody, make it a great week. Let's make it happen.